what is literacy in 2021? This is a conversation I've been having for a really long time and just thinking about what do kids need? What do we need as a society to understand? And you think about how literacy has evolved over time. At one time in our history, we're using hieroglyphics. And now you think about video, podcasts, the ability to watch this, the ability to create this. Is this a literacy in our world today? I had an awesome conversation with Clement Townsend uh, just talking about this. And he has a really interesting background in journalism. Uh, he does a lot of sports. He did a lot of sports journalism. And now he's working with schools around the world in the United States as well to actually help teachers teach this to their students and not just figure out how to do this as an extra thing, but how to actually combine this in our, in our classrooms in our, you know, our, our middle school classrooms and our English classrooms, uh, in our math classes, whatever. And I think it really gives a lot of great skills to our students that whether they go into this or pursue this field in the next phase of their lives. And he makes this really great point. It teaches us all these transferable skills one of the things I know about this podcast is that it's taught me to listen a lot better and really try to understand and try to think of questions as I'm listening to my guests. And that's a skill that all of us could develop, you know, especially myself in our work that we do, no matter what field it is. This is a great conversation. I know you're going to love it. A lot of great points, a lot of great ideas. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. Hey everyone, this is George Crowe, another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast, and I'm really pumped. I was just having an awesome conversation with Clement uh, Townsend. I hope I, I practiced your name uh, before saying it as, as good as you know as, as you. But um, I am I'm really excited to kind of talk to you, share some ideas, and we had connected uh, talking about some of the stuff that you're doing with like media and video and some of your background with you know your parents as educators and the the ideas that you talk about are really something that I think really kind of embodies the notions of innovators mindset, innovate inside the box. So for the people who are, you know, listening to you, maybe exposed to you for the first time, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do in the context of education? So I work with schools and help teachers integrate media into the classroom. I guess I took an unconventional route into education. You mentioned it though, both of my parents were educators, so I guess it was kind of inside of me all along. My mom was a teacher and my dad was an administrator. I personally, and George, I think you'll feel mm -hmm. this one. I personally wanted to be an NBA player. That's what <laughs> I, I do. Feel, to do. I do feel that. Absolutely, right? <laughs> I right? do That's feel you that. As well. I do. Right. But unfortunately, I didn't get the height. You know, I'm only like five, seven, five, eight. So I understood early on that wasn't going to be the ticket for me. But since my parents were educators, they said, son, you have to have a plan. What are you going to do? And when your parents are educators, you know, when I grew up, the next step was to go to college. So mm -hmm. I, I just immediately thought, well, if I can't play sports, the next best thing will be to talk about sports. I see guys at the games, in the locker room. I know they get paid a nice amount of money in the media. So I decided I would be on television and try mm -hmm. to talk about sports. Didn't know how to do it, but I figured <laughs> out the next step was going to college, majoring in communications. What, what's so funny? What's so funny? Let me know, George. Yeah, no, I, lo I love it, man. Like, I just, I, I, I'll tell you, I, if you'd asked me to this day, would you be the Lakers ball boy? <laughs> I'm taking that job. Like, I, just to be around it, right? right? I love it. I love it. So how could I take what I enjoy yeah. sports, even though I couldn't play, but still be around it? 
So majoring in communications, figured out what school is great in that. That happened to be Temple University in Philadelphia. That prepared me real well. And as soon as I graduated, I was on television in San Angelo, Texas. So for your viewers and your audience that's in mm -hmm. the United States, I'm from Chicago, big city, Philadelphia, big city. San Angelo, Texas is a small mm -hmm. city in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was culture shock. It was such a big change. But I think some people would understand in different pr professions, you have to work your way up. You don't just start in a big city. You have to go to a small place, cut your teeth and things of that nature. Thought I would be in San Angelo one year. I was in San Angelo five years, a test of perseverance. After San Angelo, Texas, went on to Mobile, Alabama. I was in Mobile, Alabama for close to eight years, but that's why I did some cool things. Went to the College Football National mm -hmm. Championship. They have Alabama and Auburn there. Those are like oh, professional wow. teams in the state of Alabama. You know, went to the NBA All-Star Game, went to the uh, NCAA Tournament, and all these cool things in Mobile, Alabama. And along the way, I always met a lot of youth, a lot of young people who are interested in media, and they said, I want to do what you're doing. How can I be on television? And that stuck with me. So one thing, as I back up a little bit, I always wanted my parents to see me on television in Chicago. That was the dream. So we talked about it a little bit before, maybe in Canada, if you're a sports fan and you're on television, you want to be on TSN. In the United States, if you're on television and you do sports, you want to be on ESPN. But I didn't want to be on ESPN. Mm -hmm. I just wanted my parents to see me on television in Chicago. Went on to Lynchburg, Virginia after Mobile, was there for a year. And then finally, after 14 years total, San Angelo, Mobile, and Lynchburg, I got a call to Chicago. Um, they wanted me to be on television at a network in Chicago. But unfortunately, a couple of months before I got that call, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And George... You know what it's like to lose a parent mm -hmm. because I know that you've lost your yeah. dad before. Yeah. So I got the job in Chicago the same week that I started. My mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. Mm. So, you know, what I had been working for over those 14 years for my parents to see me on television, my mom never got a chance to see that. That was a difficult circumstances. Mm -hmm. My dad get a, did get a chance to see it. So I continued to move forward. Three years in Chicago, 17 years in the business, I got laid off. It was cutbacks. It happens in a lot of industries. So for the first time in 17 years, I was at a crossroads. I had been on television my whole life. But I remember there were so many young people that wanted to know what I was doing. And with my parents being educators, I noticed there was a gap in terms of students in school were not learning media. They weren't learning how to create videos. Some of the things that I learned as a journalist now students can learn in the classroom because technology is what it is. When you and I were in school, you couldn't really edit like that because the equipment wasn't available. And even if you did edit, where would you post it? Because there was no internet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now that the barriers have been broken down and students have recording devices and you have apps on your phone and, and you can post things, I just, I just saw a natural merging of education and media, and that led me to being an educational media consultant and really trying to make sure that youth learn media creation in the classroom to prepare them for the society they're entering into. So when we were, when I was in high school, and uh, I was born in 1975, I was in high school, and it's, it's interesting that you share that about how hard this was. So this is probably, you know, late 80s. Uh, and like you said, you knew, you know, I'm super into basketball. I, we were tasked to make a commercial, um, you know, on anything that we wanted. 
And I did, um, I did a dunking commercial. Like we did a commercial for basketball shoes. Right. And it was like the time of D Brown with a Reebok pump. And we were playing exactly. I got the power, you know, that song. Right. And so like, that was like the music. Right. And you didn't have to worry about copyright because they said nobody's going to see it. Right. So I wasn't worried snap was going to actually like sue us or anything like that. Cause they would never know. And so there was like this video, we like cut off the bottom. So you can't see me jumping off a springboard to dunk. Right. Like, and, and it's just amazing. So that video, when you said about this editing to record that video, um, we had like a big, you know, VHS camera and things like that. That took us like five days of editing. Cause you had to like, you had like double VCRs and all this other stuff. Right. And now that same video I could easily do on my phone in like, I could record it, edit it, add music, probably 25, 30 minutes. Right. And you like, just kind of seeing that. And I think that's kind of one of the things that you're talking about is that there's just access to this stuff now. And and where did you distribute that video? Once it was done, (laughs) you know, it was on VHS tape. So who saw it and how did they see it? Yeah, nobody, (laughs) nobody saw it. We watched it over and over again. I, I wish, I wish that, uh, I know there's services now that you can take like all of your VHS stuff or whatever and like post it somewhere, which probably I don't think would be a good idea for like many people my age. But like you think about that, that, that was, you know, that was like a dream of mine to be able to do a lot of the things that you're doing because, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to be just like you like NBA, but I'm like, but I'm not making NBA. So I want to do that. But like, even just, uh, we didn't even know colleges, right? Like we didn't even know programs because we were so limited in information and that it just like, I grew up in a very small town. And so I just, I love, I love that, you know, that you're kind of exposing this. And so like, when you're looking at, you talk about some of the programs that we talked before, um, I think even the access that you give people is, is really unique, right? Cause it's not like, Hey, there's only one way to get this, right? You talked about like, there's different ways that you can access, you know, the programs that you're working with. Absolutely. So, I mean, certainly if you want to talk about editing, I grew up or I learned on a professional platform in terms of like an Adobe Premiere, but that Mm -hmm. might scare a lot of people because Adobe Premiere is super professional, Adobe Premiere or Final Cut Pro. But even now, though, they have something we video, which is just amazing for remote learning. And a lot of schools have Chromebooks and things of that nature. So really helping teachers get over that hurdle of wow, this is out of my comfort zone. You know, I didn't go to school for this sort of thing, but understanding the importance of it and students needing to learn it, whether it's for speaking skills, whether it's for writing skills, or whether it's just for actual editing purposes, because certainly if you know how to edit, Mm -hmm. um, that can lend itself to so many uh, open doors. Um, You and I were talking before, this podcast has some amazing editing to it. I mean, so to be able to have a fifth grader learn editing just in terms of their confidence and creativity. Look, I took an idea and I created something tangible, a video. And now if I want to, I can go and create something else or I can get a job in editing. As you mentioned, the exposure and how it expands the minds of a young person, fifth grade, seventh. I didn't learn this stuff until college. Mm -hmm. So I just truly believe the importance, how so many young people can be ahead of, I guess, maybe our generation by, you know, administrators and teachers exposing students to this sort of thing at a young age. Well, so like, so one of the questions I have for you is that somebody could be listening to this 
and say, okay, this is great, but kids figure this out on their own. So why, like, why do we even need to teach this in school? Right? Like, like you're seeing, um, I don't know how, how much you're on TikTok or anything like that, but someone like a Charlie D'Amelio, who's making, you know, videos, uh, in the school bathroom at like 15 years old. And like a year later has over a hundred million followers on TikTok, right. Doing videos and things like this. And so like, like, what do you say to that kind of like, well, you know, people are, kids are doing this anyway. So like, why do we, why do we need to teach this? Why, why would schools need to actually have a focus on this? Most students or young people that do this anyway, don't understand the power of media for Mm -hmm. good. And with me having a journalism background, what I primarily teach is video stories. And these are stories that inform that inspire and impact. George, I know we're just on the same page because I know Mm -hmm. one of your things is preparing students for the world and helping students change the world. It's so many Charlie D'Amelio's and prank videos Mm -hmm. and dance videos and TikToks, but where are the positive informational, inspirational videos? It's unrealistic to expect a student to take uh, media and really start to create informational videos or uh, inspirational videos without somebody showing them. So why do students need? Why do schools need to do this? Because it's now giving students a different perspective on what they can do with the media. We hear so much about fake media, mm-hmm. but what about where are the students? Where are the middle schoolers or the high schoolers that are that are pushing out, creating, and distributing? positive messages. If schools don't train students to do this, students won't just do this on their own. They'll do what they see their peers doing. And I understand it's a time and place for everything. There's a place for fun and prank videos, but still one of the things I really try to emphasize is media is not just entertainment. It's also educational. And that's where the school comes in. So how have we not met before? Like your, your message is so, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So, so actually like, so I think it was in 2012 or 2013. I know you're going to appreciate this. I talked about how education, so education was really talking about digital citizenship, right? So digital citizenship, you know, how kids interact online, keeping our stuff safe. And then most of the times when schools, um, people, people would come in and maybe kind of, uh, doing some of the work that you're doing, but not to the extent that you're doing it, they would talk about uh, don't cyber bully, don't be a horrible person. I'm like, we're setting the bar so low for our kids. Like we're saying, as long as you are not horrible, we're happy, right? So I try to actually flip that. And we t- so I actually, um, I, I came up with, a, I, I defined a term called digital leadership. Like how do we actually use social media, especially, but technology to make a positive impact on the lives of others. And one of the things that, you know, you talk about that I think is, is, is really important is that idea of when you have students doing this learning from peers. And if any of you have read the book, Lord of the flies, that's what I actually often compare the internet to is that we're going to throw a bunch of kids on an Island and that's the internet and just hope for the best, right? And then I think about when was I the worst human being ever at 13 years old? And then I also think, what is the terms of service for most social media? 13 years old. So you give me Twitter when I'm 13 and just say, have at it. I can't even imagine what stuff that I would have done that actually would have negatively, now negatively impacted me probably for the rest of my life, right? And so you're, that contention, 
uh, of like, you know, talking about this. So when you're, when you're talking about your program and you're talking about this, like, is there like a certain age that you start with students? Is there like, you know, something that you, you, uh, you know, when you talk, work with schools, do they have like a certain age in mind? Like, when do you start actually see this as being a beneficial time to do this? So for me, I started middle school again, I'm in the United States. So that's mm -hmm. about fifth grade. Yeah. That's the age group that I've seen that is really able to grasp the information because you know, now what I really focus on is video stories. So video stories is, you know, or some people might call it digital storytelling. So if people wondering what that is, it's just taking a topic, you know, that a student is interested in uh, something that might be going on in their neighborhood. You mentioned cyberbullying. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge, you yep. know, nationwide or ac across the world. Mm -hmm. And I've had students who wanted to do a story on cyberbullying. How do you take that topic? How do you research that topic? How do you now, uh, hopefully, you know, because I'm a journalist, hopefully you do an interview. That has been a little bit more difficult in a mm -hmm. COVID environment, but how would you do questions? And again, that has to do with interpersonal skills and, and listening and things of the nature. How do you write it? And that gets back to the writing skills. How do you narrate it? But I said all that to say, when we're really trying to enhance those skills, fifth grade is about that mm -hmm. age group where I've really seen them be able to grasp it. If you get a little lower, um, they don't take it as serious. Uh, uh, their skill set might not necessarily be up to par. Certainly you can find third mm -hmm. graders and fourth graders, you know, who are grade level above, but just in my working with uh, students for the last couple of years, starting right there at fifth grade, maybe around 12 years old, seems to be that age where they're really moldable and they can really learn and grow. Uh, and, and a lot of those students really uh, start to take initiative too. When you get into the high school group, certainly I won't say all of them feel like they know it right. all but it can be a little more difficult to reach them. But I've seen, I've seen some amazing things with high schoolers as well, but I've also seen some great initiative with these fifth and sixth graders where I give them something and then come back a week later and they've just done above and beyond. Right. I just showed them one thing and they've done three and four things. I mean, it's just amazing. Well, so it was interesting your pause there because that, that like, so this is, it just just how you did that because one of the things that I've talked about is like how we as a K-12 community actually focus on this, right? So when I work with elementary teachers, they'll often say kids are too young, right? Then I work with middle school teachers and then they'll say these kids are too weird, right? Like they're, they're not ready for this stuff, right? And then, and it's, this is the, where you pause and I'll say high school and a lot of teachers say, no, it's too late. Like they already, they, like it's actually, you're not, you're at the point, you know, that's and I appreciate you saying starting with these kids in middle school, because if you start at the high school, you're not teaching, you have to unteach because they already have habits. And it's like, okay, what do you know? Like, you know, what do you know, Canadian guy about the internet kind of thing? Right. And I, and like, I, I actually think a lot of students listen to me because they see like, I, I actually have a podcast. I do YouTube. I got like Twitter and all this other stuff. Whereas I think a lot of times their advice comes from, maybe people who haven't done this, right? And I think a lot of times in schools, uh, a lot of the policies, like I, a lot of teachers reach out to me about this, say like, I wanna try this, but our administrators won't let us do this. Our superintendent won't let us do this. And usually when that's happening, I honestly think it's because of a lack of information, not an abundance, right? Like they don't know, so they see something on the news, they see something on the media that happened uh, negatively. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not putting our kids there. And for me, when they say that, it's, it's more of our, it's, it's, it's more of a, this is not our problem, right? Like this is not our problem. They'll figure it out. 
And I actually believe if you have a kid who's a valedictorian, does all the academic things, right? And then says something horrible on social media, and th then it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, yeah, all the things, and like, honestly, I'm sure, like, I don't know if you're, I feel blessed that a lot of this stuff didn't exist when I was a kid. Cause I probably, you, you know, both of us probably wouldn't be, you know, in jobs. I, I'm curious, I'm curious, you know, uh, as a journalist who is, you know, having years of your stuff put out there, have you got any, like, I'm sure you've got negative stuff towards you on social media. How, how, how have you dealt with that? Like, I'd be really curious on, cause you know, like, I, you know, I work, I, I get some negative stuff my way in education, right? Journalists, you know, I've seen this pretty bad in, in some cases. So like, have you got that before? And if you have, like, how, how do you, how, like, how do you deal with it? And like, what advice would you give the students dealing with the same thing? So early on as a journalist, you learn that you have to have thick skin mm -hmm. because being on television every single night you're going into people's homes and things of that nature and everybody won't like what you say yeah. how you say it you could say a name wrong uh, as much as we try to do our research and information we could actually get something wrong or sometimes i did sports so i would have some fun i would try to you know make it a time where people could loosen up a little bit because if you watch the news it could be a lot of uh, death and, and violence and things of nature and i might try to crack a joke and people think my joke is not funny so you have to have thick skin. Like you right. have to understand that criticism comes along with the territory. And I think, you know, putting this in the context of students, just in life, you mm -hmm. have to have thick skin. You know, you have to be able to take constructive criticism. So, you know, teaching students video creation and having them distribute and put things out there that might be criticized is actually for me, uh, in my opinion, a good lesson for mm -hmm. students to learn how to have thick skin and understand you can't please everybody. I was doing a session maybe several months ago and a young person told me they were afraid to put some things on YouTube right. because they were uh, fearful of what the backlash might be and, you know, what their friends might say. And, you know, I, I just told them that the same thing I'm saying now, you have to develop thick skin, you know, certainly don't mm -hmm. let that hold you back and don't let the you know, kind of what we would say, the haters or mm -hmm. the negative feedback um, destroy your confidence. That one person doesn't determine the value of what you have brought to the table. What you create and what you showcase and what you distribute isn't uh, diminished by the negative criticism of one person. I, I think that leads to a broader conversation of, guess I guess, the society in which we live, mm -hmm. whereby so many people are beholden to likes and uh, hearts and things of that nature. And, and again, I tell my, my daughter, your life is not just mm -hmm. about likes. You, you know, what you put out there, if it gets five likes or 5,000 likes, it's still something that you created. It's right. still great. And, and you still have a high level of self-confidence. So to, to get back to your first question of how did I deal with it? I understood who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understood there are always going to be people who criticize you, but my self-worth wouldn't be diminished by the negative comments of a, a minority. Well, and this is, so when I work with, uh, I think especially parents with this stuff, um, and someone will say, you know, I'm really nervous about my kid. Uh, 
putting stuff out there and you know what could happen and things like that and i say well first of all like would you rather your kid screw up on social media when they're eight or when they're 15 because the eight probably isn't going to be life ending but 15 could be bad right like if they're going to make that mistake and i would guide them through this but i share this and i said i don't know if this is going to make things worse but i need you to understand it that let's say your kid puts something on youtube and they want to talk about whatever they want to talk about and let's just say it sucks let's say it's terrible right they are going to get a lot of hate thrown their way right and they're going to get you know just people doing rude comments things like this too okay so let's do let's flip it the opposite way let's say they put out something that's incredible amazing they're going to get a lot of hate still just from different people right the people are just true people are upset because um you know they're like let's be honest a lot of it a lot of people criticize people on on social media that are like totally jealous and you know like it uh, there's this one uh like you're oh right you're from chicago they had a they had um i can't remember the, the the kicker's name right the guy who dinged it off the the field goal post right and all these people like double ding that was against the uh, eagles and and certainly his name is on the tip of my tongue i can't right and so all these all all these people on social media are like i could have made that field goal and so I can't remember if it was on ESPN or something like that. They actually got a bunch of the people that said on social media, can you make the field goal? And not one of them did it. And they were all terrible, right? And it's like a lot of people that criticize who don't do, right? And so I, I really love the message of, you know, that you talk about your daughter, like you got to know who you are. But you also said something, and I'm sure you meant it very purposely, is that you said constructive criticism because there's, there's a lot of criticism that's not of any benefit at all. And to be honest with you, I can tell, I, like I have a pretty good indicator. Like this person is not trying to help me. They're trying to give me criticism to tear me down, to, to elevate themselves. They're not actually uh, doing this in a way to kind of, you know, connect and, and, and share. And so uh, like when you think about all of this stuff, because I know you do a lot of work with educators, right? So uh, and you and I were talking before, I'm already doing my daughter, Clea, she's four and a half. She's like big into like YouTube unboxing videos. Uh, we started doing some, you know, unboxing videos. She's into, she's, I like to say she's into basketball shoes, but I'm into basketball shoes, which makes her by default into it. She's kind of interested in that. So for any parents listening there, like what are some things that you would suggest? Because I know a lot of them are like, cause like my, my point to them is like, no matter what they're going to actually, they're, they're going to face, you know, negative stuff. They're going to face it but you can't shelter them forever. And I don't want them dealing with this for the first time when they're on their own. I want it when I can actually provide support, be there. So when you're talking, you know, thinking about parents doing this, like what, what advice would you give to a parent who's, who's maybe listening to this and not, cause I have a lot of uh, people that listen to this that are educators, but then they start, you know, going to their parent role, thinking about their own children. Like what are some, what's some advice that you would do? Like maybe things they could try, um, you know, with their own children. So number one, certainly when it comes to like a YouTube, if you want to go that route, mm -hmm. you can turn comments off. So they won't even face the, the feedback that there, people cannot even leave negative comments. So to me, that's the easiest thing, you know, have your child upload a video uh, and turn comments off. And that way, you know, they now have started to create, you know, for me, you know, it, it's about though meeting youth where they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you know this, and a parent knows this, educators know this, students are watching videos 
every single day. So when it comes to making learning relevant, I'm sure there are, you know, excuses about, you know, I personally as an administrator, I'm not tech savvy or I don't want my child to face criticism and, and negative mm -hmm. feedback. And I want to be sure that they are safe, but we have to make things relevant mm -hmm. for what children are doing. You know, children or students aren't watching TV the way that we used to watch TV. It can be YouTube. You mentioned TikTok. It can be Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. So meshing or, you know, correlating the learning to where they are. And now again, not just seeing uh, media. And when I say media, for me, media is videos. That's mm -hmm. creating videos and that's telling stories, you know, just understanding that it's important to, you know, teach them about this sort of thing. And with anything, there are going to be some drawbacks. With anything, there are going to be some cons, but really realizing what I'm sure you try to emphasize mm -hmm. to your audience the positives and the pros so far outweigh the cons is just something in this society where video people are only going to watch more and more mm -hmm. video. Like people are not going to start watching less video. They're going to watch more video. I say this all the time. If you have an Apple watch, I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to be watching video on our watch. Mm -hmm. It's just only a right. matter of time. Right. So why wouldn't you start to have your child creating? And I know you said this and, and published it in terms of school versus learning. Yeah. Like students just have to be taught to create. You can't just be a spectator in life. You have to be a participator. And that comes with just creating things. Whatever it is, just, just started to create. I mean, I could go on and on and on about this. I'm sure you as passionate about it as I, I am, am. Yeah, but I it's it. just so necessary. And it's so necessary in the classroom, in school. Uh -huh. So it's not just worksheets right. or I'm not just doing a term paper. I can actually show demonstration and mastery and understanding of concepts in a visual medium as well now because most people have a phone. Well, so, uh, so I'm listening to you and think about probably when we both kind of grew up you know, like I think about like kids don't even have to watch commercials now, right? Like that's that's a crazy thing to me. But then I'm watching like a Raptors game and my daughter has no interest in the Raptors game. But when the commercials come on, that's because it's like storytelling, right? Like it's interesting. It's actually interesting to her. Whereas like that would be the worst part of of, of it for me as a, a child. And I think that when you're, we, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before, um, about when we're talking about what the basics are in education, I've written about this several times, is that when you look at literacy, literacy is a constant evolution, right? And so you have schools who are like, we must teach cursive. Cursive is like so fundamental, so necessary. And I, and I don't want to say, I don't want to say don't teach cursive because if I say that, I'm going to get so much hate. And I'm not saying, I, I actually really believe kids need to be able to read cursive. I think that's actually a real important skill because we'll lose a lot of, you know, our history of, you know, culture, things like that, if we can't actually, you know, read and, and decipher things from the past. But when you look at like video creation and there is like, I can't even remember this and I'm sure you'd actually, you know, whether we know the exact number, it was like 95% of people online uh, consume information, only 5% create. It's just such a small number. And then you think about it in school, 
it, that's a, that a lot of it is that when a lot of times we think about the default is like, I don't want kids on YouTube all day. And it's like, do you, you don't, it's, there's a difference between them watching video and actually creating video. Cause it's not just sitting in front of like, uh, it's not just sitting in front of a screen and editing and things like that. It's the planning. It's the conversations you have in groups when you're talking about, like, even when we were doing that dumb video when I was a kid doing the basketball video, like, yeah, we had to spend three days on the editing, but we planned out stuff and we did some like, uh, artistry, things like that. And, and I'm, I'm curious about this too, because I, like, I, I think that some people hearing this might think, okay, this is great for the students who want to maybe go into a career similar to yours. But I actually think it's beneficial to every student because like one of the things that I've talked about forever, if every kid is getting Googled and we're constantly telling them, Hey, don't do this stuff because, um, because if anyone finds anything negative of you, you're going to lose opportunity where I'm saying, well, if everyone's Googling you and they find incredible stuff, then you're going to actually be an advantage. So like how, so how does what you're talking about actually benefit a student who's not necessarily going on to become a journalist or maybe do this as their main, you know, wants to do a career that doesn't necessarily have. And I, I don't want to say this as a focal point, but the main focal point, because like businesses know that if you want to, um, I, I don't know if you remember, if you ever saw the, the dollar shave club, um, the dollar shave, dollar shave club for man. For sure. Do you remember like the, there was like the first commercial that went viral and it was so ridiculous that it actually basically started this business, but it was the, the business was around a razor, but it was, it was the video that got people like all of a sudden signing up to it. So I think that when you're looking at there, there's different elements of this too, but it's, this is what you're talking about is not just for the students who want to solely go into video creation, correct? Like absolutely, it, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with a student wanting to be a journalist like I was mm -hmm. or be in the media profession. It has everything to do with transferable skills. We teach science. And to your point, I'm not mm -hmm. against science, but every child would not be a scientist, but it's about what they learn right. through going through the scientific process. We have sports. Certainly you and I would have would have liked to be a professional athlete. And so many parents put their child in sports. Mm -hmm. A lot of them might feel like their child will be a professional athlete, but it's about the teamwork and it's about the work ethic. We have, you know, music and, and Spanish, but every child isn't going to be a pianist. It's about mm -hmm. the transferable skills that they learn through the video creation process. That's what I really hope that educators and specifically administrators take away from this. It's about the reading because you have to do research and read information and the research. It's about the writing, as you mentioned, whether it's just a skit or a video story, mm -hmm. before you do anything, you have to write it out. It's about the presenting. So many times when I work with young people, because I have a journalist background, I emphasize narration and voiceover. So, you know, what is your pacing like? What is your tone like? What is your projection? We need these communication mm. skills because there are still adults who have a fear of public speaking. Yes, there is technology in terms of editing and things of that nature, but it's not just about being a media professional or being a journalist. It's skills that they can use in anything. If you want to open up your own restaurant, mm -hmm. it will be good to know how to write videos to show 
showcase the food choices that you have. If you want to open up a, a, a hair salon, it will be good to show the different hairstyles that you can do through video and can write that and can film that and present that. If you want to be a, a real estate agent and you want to showcase homes, every single profession, mm -hmm. a car dealership, uh, uh, if you're in finance and business, like every profession, you're going to need to know how to create videos and need to know how to write. And going back to the example of presenting again, if you're uh, going to apply for a job and have an interview, you need to know how to present yourself and need to know how mm -hmm. to speak. So this really has nothing to do with being a journalist as I was of being a media professional is now taking technology, putting it in the classroom and, and changing the way that we teach students basic skills that is now more relevant and relatable to today's society, but it also has benefits that they can utilize in their mm -hmm. everyday life. I, I hope that comes across. That, that was, that was amazing because that to me was like your, your analogy of like all the other elements of things that we teach, right? Um, you know, like the scientific method doesn't only apply to science, right? But it applies to so many different facets of our lives. And I think that to me is, and I think these are conversations that I think more and more communities have to have. Like I, I just, you know, like I kind of alluded to it. I just wrote a post saying like, what is literacy today? And I didn't define it. I actually said, it's more important that you actually have a conversation saying, what are the skills, right? Um, thinking about, uh, you know, COVID the last year, people having to fast pace some of their technology skills because they didn't see it as relevant. And now it was like the only way we could connect with some of our students in schools. So I'm going to, I, I'm going to save it because I, I got to ask you a sports question because I just have to, because I, but before I get into that, because I know a lot of people when I start talking about that, they're like, I'm out. <laughs> they don't care anymore. <laughs> they're like, I, I just want, I just here for the education stuff. So where, okay, where can people, people find you and where can they find, you know, the programs and the, the offerings that you have um, in, in, the, in this area? So I love for them to check out www.videojournalismpro.com www.videojournalismpro.com right there they'll have a free guide or they'll be able to download a free guide it's called 10 ways students can create better video content and create a better life just because of the reasons that i just emphasized in terms of how this helps them in so many different aspects of their life it's just a free resource that just talks about you know using your computer as a teleprompter qprompter.com mm -hmm. because when it comes to video creation some students might not be confident in terms of reading and speaking right. on camera and you actually can turn your you know laptop into a teleprompter and that way they can read and be a little bit more comfortable on camera so it has just different resources free resources that they can use mm -hmm. to start to implement things uh and then certainly you know there are other offerings that they want the full program because i understand some teachers aren't you know technologically right. savvy and you know it could be a learning curve and this could be too much for them so certainly there are offerings in that regard but they can connect with me on facebook as well c townsend tv on facebook i love to chat with them love to speak with them to just see how they can get started they don't have to have a huge budget they don't have to and you talked about this it's not necessarily about having a media arts program yes. and a full-fledged television studio it's about integrating this yep. into the classroom, into the English classroom, even if it's into the history classroom. Yep. I have to add this because you mentioned your daughter and, and you do unboxing videos. Yep. And I heard some other educators talk about this and this was so amazing. Um, 
I, I, I don't remember who I heard it from, but this didn't come from me. But what if you're doing history mm -hmm. unboxing videos? That'd be awesome. So, yep. you know, what would you send Ernest Hemingway or what would you send Neil Armstrong? Or if you could send something to yourself from five years mm -hmm. back, you know, yourself five years ago or 10 years into the future, what would you send to yourself and then have them create a video like that? I mean, when I heard that, that was like, wow, yep. that was just awesome. super innovative, you know, super out of the box, so to speak. Um, so there's so many things that you can do with video that can integrate into the classroom. And it's not just an add on, it's an extra just like math, just like science, I believe it should be mandatory and essential for the day and age in which we live. Okay, so if you are listening right now, and if you're on YouTube or you're listening on a podcast, you can actually see a link to your Facebook. You're gonna see a link to your program. So if you miss that, and uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll, you'll have seen it popped up on the screen uh, when it was up there too. So just check the description and you'll have access to all the stuff that we're, we're talking about. And I think, as you're talking about this, we, we connected the, this is a whole premise of the notion of innovate inside the box is that this should not be a separate, it can be right. You know, yeah, for students yeah, who want to sure, go sure. deeper into this and want to pursue this maybe as a career or, you know, have a really big interest in it. But I, but I think it is, you know, like I, I'm teaching a class with uh, UPenn right now. And I'm actually saying like, we want, you don't have to write every answer to your assignment. You can do video, you can do podcasts, you can do different things because I want them to see the value of this for their own learning as adults. And then I want them going, this would be really cool if my students do this, right? And I think that to me, and like a lot of them, you know, you probably, we had, we would have like, hey, you have like a, a 1500 word, you know, or 2000 word uh, lim or uh, thing that you have to meet. And I would just say like, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how long it should be. I'm not going to tell you how long you should write. You have to show me you understand your learning. If it takes 30 seconds, cool. If it takes 10 minutes, that's what you need to do, whatever. So just, you have to like figure out how do you actually communicate effectively that you, I under, that you understand what we're, we're learning in this class. And so trying to put people in that situation as adults, I think is, is really powerful. So as I said, for anyone who's listening, just check the description. You'll actually see the links to everything they're talking about. Uh, I'm going to ask you this last question because, uh, you like both of us want to be an NBA. Uh, then I wanted to go into sports journalism and you took that job too. So like, there's like, why didn't I do that? Um, I didn't know that was an opportunity and probably, you know, in Canada, they would have made me do hockey, which, you know, I wouldn't have been excited about. <laughs> so out of every like thing that you covered for sports, what was like, what was your coolest sports moment? Like if you could like pick one, you know, what was the coolest sports moment that you have? So this would be specific, I guess, to fan bases in America yep. and really specific to, you know, people that follow college football. So certainly in college football, college sports, there's a lot of rivalries in terms yep. of Ohio State and Michigan. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but oh, we do. We don't. We only watch U.S. sports in Canada. <laughs> That's how okay, we watch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We, okay. Like, no, our, I could tell you the NCAA. I could tell you the NCAA tournament. I couldn't name one per, one team in the college basketball for Canada for university. I couldn't name okay, one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But are you familiar with Alabama versus Auburn? 100%. 100%. Okay. Yeah. So it's the Iron Bowl. I so knew you were going to say this. Mobile, I knew you were going to say this and you're going to drive you? me crazy. Yes, because I'm like so jealous right now. 
Yeah, so it's the uh, kick six game. Uh, it's the kick six game. And I was at the kick six game. Uh, you know, just like we talked before, you were at the Kawhi Leonard bouncing the ball game. Iconic moment. I was at the kick six game when Alabama certainly missed the field goal and a gentleman uh, ran it all the way back. And Alabama or uh, Auburn fans would kill me because uh, I can hear it. He could go all the way. They're going to be celebrating all night. I mean, I was uh, on the field. Because, you know, once the college football game is over, you prepare to go on the field to do interviews. So I was right there, ready to interview the Alabama players. He ran it all the way back, um, and they won that game. Uh, the Auburn fans, you know, Ed Jordan hair stormed the field. Uh, um, yeah, that, that, that's 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 And Auburn, and Auburn, somebody asked me. That's, and Auburn won the national championship that year too, right, after that? Well, they, they went to the national championship. Um, but they actually lost to Jameis Winston. If people now we're getting really deep right. in the woods, Jameis Winston yep. in Florida State. Yep. But that actually Crazy. was at the Rose Bowl in California. So my TV station flew me out to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> so one of the most iconic stadiums, you know, in yeah. college football. That's amazing. The granddaddy of them all, you know, <laughs> Auburn versus Florida State. You know, Jameis Winston, the Heisman Trophy winner. You know, I was at that game, and Auburn had a big lead and ended up losing that game, and Florida yeah. State won a national championship. So, I mean, that was those – both of those combined together, I mean, that just takes the cake. And and to be honest, and, and I tell students this, mm -hmm. students that do want to be in media, to have that job, George, and it was a job like mm – -hmm. That was work. I actually got paid to do That's that. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's just outstanding. I mean, I, I couldn't be more grateful, more blessed, more appreciative that I was able to do that for 17 years. Because you you and I love sports. Mm -hmm. So yeah. to day in and day out, to go to work, yeah, and they pay you to watch games... And tell and stories, right? Games, and tell stories. And tell stories. And tell stories. Absolutely, absolutely. Because... I, I didn't just go to games. Part of being in the media is what are the stories? Because I work for a news organization. Mm -hmm. So the people that didn't care about sports, you always had to tell a story that would kind of be of right. human interest that would relate to people, not just who won or who lost, but what are some of their triumphs? What are some of the obstacles that they had to overcome? So that's where that's where my passion for storytelling comes in, because it's not a game every day. Mm -hmm. You know, so the days when it's not a game, what can you tell me about this coach or this quarterback or this point guard or this running back? What can you tell me about mm -hmm. their life that makes me want to root for them even more? It's the stories. Absolutely. I you mentioned you mentioned Alabama Auburn earlier in the podcast, and as soon as you Chris mentioned, Davis. and I and I have to say Chris Davis because if anybody's a college football fan, they would be like, you don't know who that was. Yeah. So it was Chris Davis who ran it back. I, I well, have to, you know, now that it came as back. As soon mind. as you said that, I was like, he was at that game, wasn't he? He was at that game because I I actually remember watching that and just that was just like a crazy ending and you know such a storied rivalry. And just so cool. And I, I honestly loved talking with you. Anyone that's listening, uh, if you're not jacked up about this stuff, like it's just so interesting. Make sure that um, you connect. And I'm, it's Clement or Clement. I'm in practice. Clement, absolutely, Clement, you got it. Right. Make sure you connect with him after because uh, I, I think there's so much that applies to education there's so much applies not only to education but you know our lives in general and how we have access to things that we did not have access to for our kids because the the biggest thing for me and i think you know you mentioned your parents um both educators my parents uh both immigrants to canada they 
the, the reason they did what they did was to ensure that we had access to opportunities that they didn't. And, and I think both of us are trying to take advantage of that and make sure that our kids have access to things that we did when we grew up as well. So it was amazing talking to you. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. Uh, I look forward to more and I hope a lot of people connect with you and your program. So thanks. Thanks everyone for listening. And thank you so much for being on here today.